Hello, welcome to the Bad Vibes Club. I'm Matt, I'm your host, it's your boy, etc. We're back to our regular, irregular schedule of artists and other creative practitioner interviews. So that's fun. This week, this week, as though we're weekly, this time we're speaking to Dina Kelberman, who's an American artist. She's living in LA. Her practice is really varied. She does lots of different things. I saw her recently do a screen walk, which was a kind of online artist talk and video performance for the Photographer's Gallery. That's how I heard about Dina, actually, was through Sam Mercer. Because, and this is the specific stuff we talk about in this podcast, I'm doing lots of research into the TV show, How It's Made at the moment. And Dina made a whole feature film out of clips from How It's Made called The Goal Is To Live. That's the title of the film. It's about 80 minutes long. There's a trailer on her website. I'll put that up on the, you know, kind of notes to this show. And it's a very beautiful film. She sent me a screener of it to watch and I watched it and then we sat down to talk about it. It was made in 2019, so it's a few years old. She's done lots of work since then, so lots of interesting stuff on her website, which I'll also put up in the show notes. Let me just highlight a few things that we spoke about that we kind of either don't get the full details of or don't get the name right. Dina recommends a film called Manufactured Landscapes, which is by Jennifer Backwell. Um, and it's a documentary that's actually about the work of the artist Edward Bertinsky. But Dina mentions it in the context of kind of beautiful films about industry. I then mention Haroon Faraki's Images of the World and the Inscription of War, but I do not say the right title at all, even though it definitely sounds like I think I've got it right. And that's available on YouTube, so I'll put a link up to that. And later on, Dina mentions a work by an artist called Andrew Norman Wilson, which is called Workers Leaving the Googleplex, and she just can't remember his name at that point. Um, yeah, there's a few other links in the description of the podcast to things that we talk about. But basically, if you love how it's made, then you'll love this podcast. And if you are interested, you can see a trailer for Dina's work, The Goal Is To Live, on her website. So yeah, that's what we talk about. But we start off talking about time differences because Dina had like logged in about three hours early to our Zoom chat and I felt bad because I knew that was probably early morning for her. So what time? It's like morning time for you, right? Yeah, it's 11 and I'm so dumb because I got up early this morning thinking this was at 8 because I had a different... Oh no, I'm sorry. ...at 8 once. No, no, it's to it was totally my fault. It was good because then I was like up and at him. Okay. I mean, it's also fine because I have a baby, so I have to get up early anyway. Just oh, okay, cool. Well, that, that I don't feel too bad. Yeah. How old's your baby? It's all her fault. She's nine months. How's it going, being an artist with a baby? It's weird. Not not as much art happening. <laughs> yeah. I'm sort of freaked out by it, but it's okay. We're getting we've you know everything's been super chaotic because pandemic, and then also we visited the East Coast. We we were kicked out of our house for various reasons for like uh, two and a half months, which sort of made okay. everything that much weirder. Yeah, sure. With a small baby, you had to go across to the other to East Coast. Wow, that must have been hard work. It was intense. We also like took a train because we were afraid of pandemic. Yeah. So it took like four days in a little train. Everything about it was weird. It's all been insane. And now, now we're about to move apartments in about a month, just waiting for the next thing to like lock in. Oh man, that sounds like you've had a hard year or to, at least a kind of stressful year. Yeah, it's just been like a lot of, I mean, it's okay. It was actually kind of, I think the best possible time to have a baby because 
we were missing nothing. And I've heard was, that. Yeah, you can yeah. just have time to yourselves and you haven't got people like going coming around every five minutes and saying, oh, can we see the baby? Yeah, yeah. No, we yeah, the, our families like couldn't visit. So that wasn't <laughs> a thing. And all our work got postponed. So it, we were just oh, both yeah. home all the time. Oh, that's good. I'm, we're having a baby in October. So I'm gathering. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. I'm gathering info about how to carry on being is this alive. the first one? This is our this is our first. Yeah, this is our first two. Yeah. So at the moment we're just trying to like work out what birth is and how that might yeah. go. But yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. L- luckily for me it's less interesting for me, but still scary and hard work. You know, I you think I mean it's definitely going to be less interesting, but you get uh I think my husband had a way weirder time with the actual childbirth because I was just like numb entirely sure. yeah, and yeah. he like watched it happen and he was like horrified whereas oh, I wow, was like yeah. we went to the hospital and then they <laughs> handed me a baby like and I don't um and then he was like I saw everything um he sounded like really crazy I'm kind of jealous that he got that horrifying experience <laughs> but yeah I'm st- I'm sort of like we're hitting the point now where we're just starting to be like, oh, how will we live our lives? So I don't know the answer yet. Everyone says you just have to maximize what time you have and you don't get to fuck around anymore. Yeah, that seems like a positive version of it. A positive spin, which I appreciate <laughs> from people. But yeah. the ups, up spin does seem to be that you just have very, very little time. Someone the other day described the idea of reading a book They've got a two-year-old and the idea of reading a book was like laughable to them. <laughs> I didn't yeah. like, sitting down and like opening a book and like looking at it for more than 10 minutes is no, not going to happen. Yeah, no, that's the thing is everything is so far is in like tiny, tiny fits. So it's like you can only do things that you can do in like 10 second bursts. I actually started reading a bunch when I was breastfeeding because I all I could do was stare at my phone. Like I actually mm. managed to fully get bored of my phone because I was just like, this is all I have. And it actually got me started reading books and then breastfeeding ended and it's like all a mess yeah. again. It also yeah. keeps changing. It's all fucked. <laughs> is this the thing? <laughs> this is the thing, but let's we don't have to dwell on this. Why don't we get why don't we head back to the heady days of 2019 before oh, yeah. you had a young child? And oh, so life was sweet. I watched your screen walk for the photographer's gallery. Sam Mercer put me on to you because we'd been talking about how it's made. And he was like, oh, this amazing artist, Dina Kelberman, made this amazing film. So, but what I first watched was your screen walk. And I was really impressed with your performance and your talk. I just really, I'm really into your work. So I'm really happy to talk oh, to thank you. Thank you. Thanks. But what we'll talk about today is particularly your 2019 film, The Goal Is To Live, because I'm currently writing about how it's made. So, so you being an artist who's made something out of how it's made is very interesting to me. Oh, I should give proper credit, shouldn't I? So it's called The Goal Is To Live, finished in 2019, and the music is made by Rod Hamilton and Tiffany Seal. Mm-hmm. It's a feature-length film made of edited footage taken from the TV show How It's Made. So I love How It's Made. I've, uh, we watch it every night before we go to bed as a kind of sleep <laughs> aid, actually. We kind of use it to go to sleep. But what was your relationship with it before you made the film? I like, I think... 
everyone find factory footage really fascinating and amazing and and how it's made i I just agree with what you're saying i mean it's just so soothing it's fascinating it's like really dorky it's one of those shows that if you stumble on it on tv which i don't watch tv a lot but like in a hotel or something when suddenly i'm like what's on tv if you stumble on how it's made you're probably stumbling on like a 10 episode stretch it's one of those shows. I don't know. That's how they do it here is if it's on, then it's about to be on for like many hours. And then I usually just have it on because it's hard to stop watching it. Yeah. So I just was a big fan of it. And I had this project in mind for like years and years that I just really wanted to know what would happen if I tried to cut it up and reorganize it. And I tried to sort of get grants for it and that didn't pan out. And eventually I was like, you know, what? just fucking make this thing. So then I started making it off and on, um, starting in like 2017 or so. Oh, okay. Yeah. That was one of my questions. working off and on. Yeah. Maybe we'll get a bit more detailed later with the actual making, but can you kind of sketch out the timeline then? So you you started, did you, how did you download the, because it's all high quality footage. So I assume you kind of got every, you like torrented all the series or something. Yeah. Well, oh, oh, actually, so I did actually. I actually just went back for a second trying to remember when I started making it because it's all fuzzy. I have a terrible memory also, so this will be an awful recount of everything. <laughs> but I did get, I got a small grant at one point just for artist work that I decided to put towards actually buying all of the seasons I could that were in HD and downloading uh, them that way, which is the first time I'd ever not just like stolen stuff and still <laughs> illegal, I think. Yeah, so I actually did buy all the seasons and it was really also sad because it's I wanted the project to be in HD and the first several seasons are only in SD because of the time it was made Mm. and you know that's when all the best stuff was like crayons (laughs) and all the stuff that they were immediately like ooh, let's show how this you know like all the stuff you wanted to see immediately when you had the idea to make that show so it always pains me to think about I barely even looked at them because I can't also the ones that were made subsequently you know they're still making the show yeah sure anything outside of those realms is just agonizing to think about how good it was or it will be. <laughs> that's interesting to think about that like the first season is just people in a room being like oh yeah what about aluminium foil and then yeah like 10 series and everyone's like i think there's a factory that makes like <laughs> cylinders for something totally. <laughs> yeah yeah well i feel like they start to get more into like weird handmade stuff mm. after a while because they're like you say they're like running out of they're like, um, you know those little dolls you see in the souvenir <laughs> shop? Like, oh, well, someone's making that. Which I hate those because they don't fit into my the thing I was trying to do at all. Yeah, so okay. Crazy. So, um, so maybe that's the next question about the film is how how did you select? Because obviously there's like hundreds of hours of footage that you would have been mm-hmm. going through, right? So how did you select the bits that got into the film? If I liked them, if I thought they were beautiful, it's basically the only thing. And then I, I was looking for predominantly things that were made uh that were not handmade processes because those are just sort of harder to fit together but basically just the first pass i went through and i was like if i love how this looks i'll clip it and then throw it into the pile and see if i use it later let's let's get into that what so you'd have an episode up in your editing software and then you would scrub through it or would you watch it yeah no i totally didn't watch it i uh which is funny because you had asked sort of or mentioned like the meditative process of or how meditative the show is. Mm. But since I wasn't watching it in real time, I just scrub through or actually 
what I what I mainly did was I think I took all of the audio tracks off of them so that the file size would be easier to handle. Like I'm trying to remember how this process worked. I remember I didn't have audio on a bunch of them. After a while, I figured out that that made it easier. And then I would just watch them and fast forward and QuickTime. Mm, okay. And yeah. I I just use QuickTime Seven for the beginning processes of everything because it's the best program. Oh, so you so you would get your clips from QuickTime rather than in an editing software then. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Oh, I would. Uh, I mean, okay. I. This may be like a terrible process. This is just what I always do for things. I. I watch everything in fast forward and quick time. I grab the little bits. I save them into a giant folder, and I kind of saved them with tags that was you know like blue machine goo or things like that. Um, so that later I could have some sort of organizational method. So a lot of the time I didn't, you know, I didn't have the soundtrack. I didn't necessarily know what I was watching anymore. By the time mm. I was going back to look at the clips, I usually had no idea what I was looking at anymore, which is pretty funny part of the process. That's interesting because that turns, because as a viewer, the whole raison d'etre of how it's made disappears because the it becomes very hard to identify, which is obviously the, I'm assuming that's the point of the film, but it's interesting to know that you were having a similar experience as you're selecting the clips. Yeah. I mean, I think that probably that really helped because I didn't get hung up on the conceptual Mm. idea of like, well, this is going to be this. I was just like, well, it's green goo, and I, now I get to figure out what it's going to be. So you got all your clips, and then, yeah, how did you sequence them? So you must have ended up with more clips than you used, right? Oh, yeah, tons, tons more than I used. I wish I looked up the like actual numbers. Like I had thousands, thousands and thousands of clips by the end. And I think I only used about, I want to say like one thousand or something in the i can't remember in the thing there's a lot there's so many of my favorites left over that i couldn't use and i actually did a sort of sister project that i just called comps for no reason where i've sort of um made some little formal video experiments just using a lot of the leftover clips because Mm. i had so much stuff left over that i loved so much that didn't fit in but basically i just like grabbed something to start with pretty arbitrarily and then just i just sort of started making it and then i just sort of you know, I was just like, well, what can go next? What can go next? And then saw how long I could do it for. And at some point I realized I could make it loop back around. And then I made that happen. And that kind of involved other weird fiddling, you know. I watched the whole thing today and I saw that it loops, but obviously I wasn't looping it. So what, in what way do you mean? Because to me, it seemed to go back to, I definitely noticed the end clip was the same as the first clip. But in the right. version I watched, it fades to yeah. black anyway. Is that right? right? So, yes, yes. It's like there's basically like a screening version, which is that where it has to end. Uh, but or or it would could be installed on an endless loop mm, where okay. it never ends. It just keeps going. Cool. OK, so oh, I forgot to ask, like, how long did that process take you of watch, you know, watching or scrubbing through the clips and pulling out what you wanted? I was well, I looked this up. I, I think I did the bulk of that in 2017 and into 2018. Um, I went to Reykjavik for this residency and like went insane and just sat in this room by myself staring at clips all day like scrubbing and then it was too cold to like do anything except for I would walk to the public pool and go in there like public pool hot tubs every day. Mm. And then I would go back to the residency and kind of hide in my tiny dark room. And I didn't think about this, but because of the time difference, like I couldn't even really talk to any of my friends or like my 
boyfriend, I would be able to communicate with people for like during like a one hour window every day. It's kind of hellish, but funny. Uh, so I did most of it there and then um, the rest of it back in Baltimore. And okay. I started assembling it, I think, in, in 2018 and finished at the end of 2019, kind of right a little bit. I had just started booking like a tour to try to go and show it to people and then pandemic hit. Uh, okay. So is it being shown anywhere? Uh, not not much. I had a screening here in LA where I live now and it's shown like a, in a couple little galleries, but not, not much. I'm sort of now that the world is coming back, going to reinvigorate that effort. Do you think it would work in like film festivals? Have you ever had your work in that context? I, I haven't because I'm not predominantly a filmmaker, but I would love to yeah. show it. I would I would be happy to show I mean, I, I always envisioned it as an installation, but I did after screening it here for sort of like friends. Uh, I felt like I did like how it worked as a screening. So I would be into showing it that way too. It kind of works. Like, I mean, I'd, I'd like, I like to see it in an installed format because it obviously works. It would work well on a monitor, like as a sculptural film object thing, but watching it's pretty, pretty great. I mean, I just like watching that stuff because I like watching how it's made anyway, but you go through quite a few phases of your relationship with it. First, it's just quite striking. The clips you've selected are really beautiful. The colours are really striking and they probably are in how it's made anyway, but you don't, they're not, obviously they're not selecting their clips on the basis of how aesthetically pleasing they are. And also one thing that really struck me is that I don't think I've ever seen how it's made in HD because all the YouTube is, um, I don't think so, because all the YouTubes are standard definition. Oh, interesting. And on TV here, I mean, I just haven't watched it on TV for a long time. I, I have a TV at home, so and HD. I just haven't seen it. So, mm-hmm. so I was just like yeah. glued to these I like, know, yeah. beautiful clips. And then That's you why I had to do it that way. It's so yeah. like some of that stuff is so incredible. Like the molten, uh, you know, I don't know. Everything is amazing yeah. in HD. <laughs> And um, what am I trying to say? Oh, yeah. Okay. So you go through, well, I went through this kind of sequence of feelings. And one of them was like a really, it's like a disassociative, which is a bit like, do you know, you know, like deja vu and jamais vu. Have you heard those Uh before? Yeah. It's like similar to that, but it's a feeling I've had before in immersive kind of film experiences or art experiences where for a moment you think that something must have been staged. Like there were clips that seemed suddenly so absurd that for a second, like not rationally, just totally, I knew that you had just used clips from how it's made, but suddenly with, without their context, one of them was like, they take a little bit of string and they hold it up to the camera and they just drop it down a pipe. And I was like, oh yeah. I was like, um, I think that's set up. I think she's maybe like inserted like, <laughs> like. That's cli- one of my favorite. I love that clip. Yeah. Uh, that's great. Wouldn't it be funny if I put a couple in? I mean, you'd have had to have a real budget to do that. Yeah. Like an amazing but honestly, budget. then it's cheating. It would, have been, it would have made the whole thing a lot easier if I had done that. I love that. <laughs> but there are, some, there, there are some really funny moments in how it's made like that when you, especially when you take them out of the context and you're like, that was one that I remember being like, what the hell is this one from? I think they're making a javelin. <laughs> I might be wrong. <laughs> That's great. That's really good. It's nice that you don't know either. Uh, why was it feature length? What? Because that's why I asked about festivals or something, because, mm. yeah, it could have been much longer. It would have been mm-hmm. more work, I suppose. But, and I suppose it could have been shorter, but it seems like duration is important to it. Well, honestly, that is how long I could keep going with what I had. Yeah. Ma- like You know, it's like I could start it all over again and maybe make a different length 
thing, but basically from where I had started, that was about the, that was the limit I hit with the cliffs I had where that I thought I could keep going. Oh yeah. I guess you're, you're probably alluding to something that I haven't actually asked you about, which is, so what was the kind of, I know a lot of it must've been intuitive, but what was the logic of the sequencing of the clips? Was there any rules that you applied to it? The only rule was, um, no, you know, using only clips from the show and no editing other than, you know, the sequence. Yeah. I mean, I, other than the, the time clipping time, but I wasn't zooming in or editing color or reversing or anything like that, Yeah, which drove me insane. There were so many where I was like, if I just reversed this, I could make this like, I would end up with these chunks that I couldn't get together and go insane. That's what all my work is like. I like to torture myself. So what would make a sequence not work, you know, when you're trying to put it together? I mean, essentially, I'm just trying to be as convincing as possible that one thing has actually led to the next. Yeah. Okay. And that, and that, you know, there are more successful moments than others. And after a while that would start to break my brain also. And I definitely had to go to other people and be like, does this make any sense to you? I've lost perspective entirely. But for the most part, one clip that followed another would never be the actual clip that followed the other. Uh, That's mixed. That's a, that's a mix. It's like, like, like there are some moments where the camera cuts and it is the true next moment. There's not a lot of them. There's some really amazing bits where something is produced, so like formed. And then I was like, oh, no, this is the same sequence. This is from how it's made. Like you've used several clips in a row. And then suddenly it would be going back into like a crusher <laughs> to be crushed. I was like, oh, no, that, that can't be right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> and I feel, I feel like the, the really the kind of clear sections for me were like the molten metal section yeah the disc section like a lot of stuff at, towards the end was the fab you know like kind of whizzy fabric what am i trying to say just like uh fabric material or feathery stuff so yeah, but, but at the start it felt like it was more color or you know there was a lot of blue stuff being poured in and out of stuff yeah well i think uh it became more limited as i went on so ah. it'd be, so you know i may at the beginning i would have like all the blue clips i'd i'd gotten from the whole thing to sort of choose from and then Mm. by the end i you know would only have one blue thing left so i couldn't i don't know actually that's an interesting like i wish i could look at it with blank eyes or something to be able to see that thing that you're describing as more clearly if it's more evident that there was the things change more at the beginning Mm. than they can at the end yeah i see what you mean you just had you could make connections across a wider range of content at the start okay Mm -hmm. have you have you watched it you know, when it was screened, did you sit in the audience and watch it? Yeah, it was weird. I was actually the entire time I was like, this is a total failure. This doesn't work at all. I'm so embarrassed. But also I laughed at a couple moments like that. Not because <laughs> <laughs> there's some things in there that still I just think are so funny. But uh, I don't know. I got a good reception, so I felt better afterwards. <laughs> but I was so critical of it. At I think point. it's pretty amazing. Like beholding it as as a thing that exists in the world is pretty good oh thank you what about the music then so are these are these people you know already that you've worked with that rad and tiffany i don't know super well but i know them I, I lived in baltimore for 13 years and they're from baltimore and i uh knew them and i was a big fan of their music and i just uh sort of hit them up to see if they would be interested and they were really incredibly great like they basically were just like sure what uh you know, like they kind of just like immediately sent back like the perfect thing. It was the simplest because I'm I'm uh, a control freak, as you might imagine. And so I was like a little bit scared of this collaboration element because I, I'd never made a film like this before. And I was like, well, the music is such an intense 
part of it, you know, I was like, oh, what if they said something and I hate it and I have to like have a weird conversation. And then it was just like, oh, that's perfect. And I really, really love what they did. And I could, I mean, I would just listen to it, you know, independently of the visuals also. I think it's beautiful. They're uh, really cool. And I, I would love for ultimately for that, to, for it to be played live along with it at some point, maybe oh, in the yeah. future. I don't know. But I, I imagine that that would be a cool thing. It's got an interesting relationship to the actual music on the show because it's got a similar frenetic, like too fast vibe. Like mm -hmm. it's got uh, this drone that goes throughout the whole thing. And then it's got all these like 16th notes, like going super fast. But at the same time, it's like not going anywhere and like not progressing at all, which is in vibe is very similar to the music on the show. But it's obviously totally in terms of tone and like the timbre of the sound is totally different. Did you ask them to be guided by the music from the show or? No, no, no. I gave, I gave them some other uh, reference points of sort of like minimalist music. Um, I'm really, I, I don't, do you know the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? And I, I mean, I know of it, but I don't, I don't have never read it. Very off topic. But uh, there's the, the song Rainbow and Curved Airs in Hitchhiker's Guide, which I was obsessed with when I was like a kid. And I've been obsessed with that song since then. And so that was kind of a big influence, which I think very much comes through. Um, I actually wasn't thinking about the music for the show at all, but I do feel like, you know, Philip Glass just really drilled that sort of thing in combination with that kind of footage into all of our brains. And I uh, haven't escaped that. Oh, you mean like Kyana Scatsy or something like that? Yeah, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, for me, that's always sort <sighs> yeah. of like the reference point. That's such an obvious, yeah, I hadn't thought of that at all, but that's so true, oh, that's isn't funny. it? So well, what, that's nice because I feel like it's too obvious even. <laughs> I'm self-conscious of that. No, no. Well, I mean, I mean, it makes, it makes so much sense, but I, I just didn't, didn't occur to me. What, what for you makes that connection? I don't know. I, I guess I was really, really into Koyaanisqa. I love all of the Koyaanisqaati movies and I haven't watched, I guess, a lot of other similar films like that are in that genre. So that's just the one that stands out to me that again, I sort of got into many many years ago and it's just like been in my life popping up and revisited over and over and so it's just sort of always that's like the the ambient film yeah i wonder if it's something to do with there not being many humans in it yes well yeah but uh, you know one of my i i need now i just want to watch all of them again the second one's There's got lot lots of people in yeah, I was gonna say. Yeah, the other the other two kind of are much more peopley, and the second one I guess is about is predominantly about people. Yeah, I can't remember that. But one I definitely so much. try to avoid people in in my work in general. And one thing I do think <laughs> that I always found funny in the how it's made clips, and that I kind of made myself laugh in the goal is to live is whenever like a person shows up with and like uses their hand in something. It's always so funny to me. Like they'll just like a hand will appear and just show you a ball and then throw the ball into something. <laughs> it's like, there's something, they're so proud of themselves or something. Yeah. It's the only times when there's like real performance and it's, it's always like hammy, like really, yes. because it, because they would throw this thing into the machine, right? They would normally just throw the thing into the machine, but they've been asked to like come in and like hold it up and then like place it in. And they're, they're like enjoying yeah. their moment on screen. It's nice. Yeah. Well, there's, there's, there's a whole world in there of like, the employees who are really annoyed and trying to just do their job or like don't want to be on camera. And then it's like, it just occurred to me, like 
the hand that holds the ball, like, did they hire someone to do that? Or, or is that the ball thrower? Because the hammy moments, like, sort of feel like they hired an actor to be like, oh, maybe do this convince. I don't know. It's because sometimes there's employees doing their thing where you're like, man, you're just so annoyed right now. You don't want to be here. My, my friend worked in a factory when he was 18, 19, and it was like a pipe fitting factory. And his job was to put one bit of pipe into another bit of pipe. And he said the worst thing about it, the job itself was not not great, but the worst thing about it was they'd have a leaderboard. And if you got like really good scores, they'd like all stand and clap you at the end of the day. And he said the worst thing was like winning that thing (laughs) because it was a, it suddenly was this focus on a job that you spent all your time trying to zone out of and then suddenly you're yeah. like being made aware that you're doing this job and you're like oh i don't want to be good at this job i just want to forget that i exist yeah like it gives you like a, the number of things you did that day appears <laughs> yeah. and it's like wow that's amazing yeah, yeah. That's actually that reminded me have you seen the movie manufactured landscapes no what's that you will love this movie um it's another factory type um kind of ambient movie and there's moments where i think it's are they in china i now i can't remember the details of it but there's some moments that i remember where there's just like footage of people putting together like assembling little electronic bits where they have to put like five little diddly things together and they're just doing it with this speed and expertise that's like boggling and it's alarming in that way like your friend experienced where you're just like oh you know how to do this so well that it's like upsetting yeah. And just to think like, wow, you do that eight hours a day every day. It's like, part of me is like, that seems fun. <laughs> but I'm, that's ridiculous. I'm sure it's insane. After three days, you probably, I mean, how long did your friend have that job? I want to know more about that. I guess it must have just been a summer job. I mean, I mean, obviously tons and tons of people have these jobs, but I've never met any of them. Yeah. It depends where you're from. And he just happened to be, you know, the UK is not a big place. And I lived in the next town over from him. But it just happened to be that in the town where he lived, there's a few factories. So that's the Mm. kind of work you can get. Whereas in my town, it's like got a high street and you, you know, you work in a shop or in a pub or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. That's what's weird about these jobs is that some people it's about class and capitalism and and other people it's just like what's available Mm -hmm. well those are the same yeah that's a good point sorry yeah that's a but i just mean if it's like a a summer job or a a temp job or something yeah 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 there's the temporary kid doing whatever fill-in version and then there's the like this is like life here version is there something about i mean i don't to be honest i don't know enough of your work to know this but do you have an interest in the kind of extremely tedious labor or something because it struck me that some of the labor you're doing to make this film is repetitive enough to be like the labor that's on display in how it's made. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, that's why I think I'm, I fantasize that the factory job would be fun it's because I like insanely repetitious, tedious. This is part of why having a child is terrifying for me because mm. all my work is centered around spending like an inordinate amount of time on something. But also my work is all kind of like these piecemeal things that I actually can do in little, little dits and then it's often like a big pile I'm accumulating so I can kind of throw mm. stuff into the pile and keep going and I'm often doing like a lot of things at once so it's sort of like I'll get into these tedious focused zones for projects but then also it's 
there's another element that's very chaotic where I just have like six different projects that are six different piles. And I'm just like, Oh, there's one. And I throw it into that. And, and <laughs> so I can, I'm kind of also like multitasking and doing everything badly at once in that sort of way. And then I'll like get real focused into like, eh, this needs to be up one pixel or that sort of thing. Mm. I often wonder if I have OCD, mm. but I don't think I have, I think I have whatever puts, pulls me in just under the line. Do you still watch uh, How It's Made now? No. Well, like I said, so I would if it was on, but I don't like have TV anymore because TV's mm. just like not a thing in my life anymore. Um, and I don't like put it on. Maybe when like my kid is older and wants to watch stuff, we'll watch How It's Made. Um, but no, I don't. I should check in and see what they've been making. One of my favorite Wikipedia pages while writing this essay is the list of how it's made episodes. Oh, yeah. I will look at that a lot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's good. I've, I, I, I've been speaking about it a lot because obviously this is what happens when you're doing something. You speak about it a lot. And actually, uh, uh, someone I met while I was doing a lecture, they've got a kid who's about maybe like three or four. Is that right? I think so. And they'll do it instead of a bedtime story. They'll watch how it's made together. Ooh. And I think at first the kid, they must be older than that because they ask like, oh, how, how do they make basketballs? So they watch that episode. And now that's what they do for like bedtime, which I think is that's really right. nice. I know we've been agreeing that it's very meditative, but my immediate thought about that was like, but that would get you all wound up and excited before bed. Well, this is what I'm trying to, because, okay, my, my like thesis, and I don't, it's not like I fully believe it because I think there's lots of problems with it. How It's Made has this amazing appro approach to presenting information in which they deploy clarity, but they do not necessarily explain. Like, so everything sounds and looks very clear, mm -hmm. but by the end or like at any particular stage, you, you might not exactly know what's happening. You can see what's happening and what's happening on screen is being described by the voice. And often there's like close-ups and slow-mo footage. And that is clarifying, but it's not necessarily like explaining. Yeah, there's also big uh, leaps and sometimes really big ones. And, you know, sometimes, especially in the later seasons, like, you know, where they don't know what to make and they'll be like here's how you make like the wheel well of a car and they'll be like well you take uh the steel that you have that's pre-drilled and you bend it with this and you're just like wait what and obviously also it's infinitely recursive because you can always be like well how'd they make that hose that they're attaching to that thing now or like all these things and it's funny because it does like they they have no rule about their own scale i guess it's like yeah, yeah. Sometimes it's like in these incredible detail, like the like crayons or whatever, because it's like a simple, simpler process, maybe. Or the, I think with smaller things, sometimes it works out that way. And sometimes it's a bicycle, and they're like, "Well, you attach the wheels to the bike," <laughs> and you're like, "Oh." <laughs> yeah, it's true as well. Obviously, the whole thing is they have to slot them into these five minute segments, right? So, right. whether it's a very, very, very complex process or a very simple process, it has to fill or be squished <laughs> into five minutes. So, yeah, some of the handicraft, yeah. the kind of artisanal ones, they're like, you know, two minutes of it is just a guy like chiseling a bit of wood. Whereas some of the yeah. more complex ones, you know, like how they make graphics processing units or whatever. <laughs> <It's> right. Like, <laughs> 
I'm calling it mesmerizing clarity. There's a really nice interview with the makers. They're like producers of the show and they're talking oh, cool. about how if they're having a, I'll send you a link after this, but it's, they talk about how they're having, if they're having a meeting about how it's made and the, and the discovery channel is on in the background or the science channel or whatever and how it's made is on, they all get mesmerized by it and they all just turn away and start watching their own show. Wow. They, they have to turn it off. Yeah. Don't get high on your own supply. <laughs> That's amazing. I think there's lots of gaps in that. One of them is um, the artisanal ones because they're just a real, they seem really odd and out of place to me. But but that to me, it seems to be something to do with how they present a very neat version of the capitalist process. Like, you know, you never see people or you just see their Mm -hmm. hands or the tools that they're using. You know, like you're, I mean, I don't know what the film is like, um, Manufactured Landscapes, but there's plenty of films like attempts to present what it is to create something under capitalism. And how it's made right. is like not that, even though that's exactly what it says it is. And I think that neatness of how it's exactly not what it says it is, <laughs> is the thing that's like soporific and relaxing to people who live under capitalism, as in everyone, yeah. you know, all humans. Right. Well, it's, I mean, it's prop- it's total propaganda, but it's also just like really beautiful and enjoy. It, it, it just you're just like, I should buy a bike. The crayons. <laughs> how wonderful. And I mean, it is like incredible, you know, it's like human ingenuity and all of this, but it's also terrifying because you watch all the crayons get pumped out and you're like, well, surely we don't need this many crayons. Like, <laughs> yeah. Where are these all going? It's it's like, it's so many, it's so many feelings at once. Mm. But like you say, they all kind of get zonked out of you and you're just like, ah. Uh... There's a... I don't really watch Rick and Morty, but while researching this, there's a Rick and Morty kind of satire or parody of how it's made. Have you seen that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's just I a very really short piece. It. <laughs> it's anyway, they're, yeah. ma- they're making, what is it? A dingle. Oh, I can't remember what it is. They're making an absurd thing and the whole thing is completely, doesn't make any sense. All the processes are crazy. And at the end, Rick turns to the <laughs> other characters and they're like, oh, that's how they make that thing. And it's that's the thing, isn't it? It's like, you don't necessarily want to learn anything. There's no reason why you want to know how crayons are made, but it's nice to see it. And once you've seen it, you can just move on. You don't, it's not like you're like, oh, now I'm going to Google loads about the making of crayons. I mean, maybe some people are, I don't know. Yeah, there's not much to do with that information. Yeah, that's a good way to describe it. Yeah. Another just made me think about how um, another one that has pretty glaring uh, omissions uh, is when they're processing meat. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> And they're just like, so first you dump the ground meat into the vat. <laughs> and you're like, yes, first. Well, that's the other thing, right, is that, and this is, I was reading, do you know Haroon Faraki, the filmmaker? No. Oh, like a German filmmaker. He died in the kind of, not that long ago, but making films from the 70s to now. Really serious, like, but really amazing films. Like my favourite one that I've watched is called Images of War. Oh, fuck it. Images or the Inscription of War like super serious like video essays with like, you know, slow German narration. Um, but one of the films he made with an accompanying essay was called Workers Leaving the Factory Gates, mm-hmm. which is like the first ever bit of f- cinema footage is shot. It's called Workers Leaving the Lumiere Factory Gates. So it's like the first thing that was ever shot, I think, or shown in a cinema. I can't quite remember the which one. Anyway, so he then goes through and finds lots and lots of examples of workers being filmed outside factory gates in in 
cinema, but also in documentary and stuff, and then puts them together into a montage film, a little bit like your The Goal is to Live. Mm -hmm. But his whole point is that capitalist or industrial cinema can never show what's inside the factory. It can only show what happens when like the workers leave the factory. Uh -huh. But it strikes me that he must never have seen how it's made because <laughs> industrial <laughs> cinema did, did in the end discover how to... You know, how to make it in, you know, how to sell it, basically, how to sell this thing that's essentially the ugly truth. They right, worked well, out how to wrap it up. they're in control of it, they get to pick what's yeah, getting exactly. shit on. That's funny. That's interesting because I just watched this um, video and I've forgotten. Fuck, I forgot the artist's name because my bad brain, but it's uh, Workers Leaving the Google Plex, which oh, I now cool. realize is a reference to that, where it's about. This guy, when he worked at Google, he filmed all of the people of this like particularly low tier classification. It was the people that were scanning all the books and stuff leaving. Mm -hmm. And it sort of just chronicles everyone, like the authorities at Google flipping out that he did this. And eventually he gets fired for oh, just wow. sort of filming okay. that, standing there filming them like with his phone, I think, even or something. It's super simple. He's like, I work right there. I'm just filming this. And they, it's like a huge problem. Mm. It's yeah, very interesting, interesting, but I didn't I didn't realize the reference, but now that makes sense. <laughs> I'll send you I can't remember if I actually have the film, but there's a there's an essay yeah, by him that's really nice. And it's all about the inability of capitalism to show the process behind the gates. But what how it's made does, to go back to that idea of put your ground chicken in the big processing machine, is that yeah. it it always starts and ends at the factory gates. You never see like a truck leaving. Sometimes you see trucks coming in, but it's it's like geographically located in one place which is completely out of date right like capitalism doesn't work like that anymore mm, and to go back yeah. to, to the app you know the meat processing those things are totally separate for many reasons that are historical legal and you know the abattoir is elsewhere but there is one maybe it's like battery chickens or something and they do weirdly address that they address it at the end they say battery farming is not good for the chickens but i don't know if this is like <laughs> So it would be interesting. Um, I can't remember. You know, they're basically saying it's bad and there's better ways of getting um, chicken. Really? Yeah. But I will have to find it because, again, I'd be interested to see. The British vers version is exactly the same script, but it's narrated by a different narrator. What? Really? And the Canadian, yeah, and the Canadian and the American versions are narrated by different narrators too. What? It's a Canadian Whoa. show. And it's. I knew that, but I didn't know that. Why? Is it different scripts? Have you compared? I haven't compared. I guess they just, the Canadian narrator is, uh, you know, they've changed over the years, but they do have Canadian, it's like identifiably, even to me as a Brit, they are Canadian accents. So I wonder if it's just like, it's a big enough show to merit, you know, oh, we need an American narrator for the American audience, you know, US audience. Oh, that's so bizarre. Mm. Yeah, very I want to hear them all at once. Well, yeah, there you go. That's your next. <laughs> <laughs> That's, That's so the next weird. version. It's, it's like, it's, it's all the same language. It's so weird. It's so weird. And the British, yeah. So I wondered if it was a, I, I would, I might try and seek out the different versions of that same thing. I can't remember if it's battery farmed chickens or battery farmed eggs. Is it is like, is it just the UK version or is it in the American, you know, the US version and the Canadian version as well? Yeah. That makes me so curious. It's like my, my mom, I haven't read the Harry Potter books. My mom was really into them. And she would complain to me about how they would make Americanized versions of the books where they would just change like little slang, British slang. Yeah. And she'd be like, it's so stupid. And I just, I wonder if there's stupid little things like that. And I knew that about books. That's like very common, like, because there is, there are different spellings, but they will always do that. If it's, 
you know, a book that's being printed at scale or whatever the phrase is for books, you know, a lot of books being printed, they will always change yeah. all the spellings and try and change the, um, yeah, all the slang and stuff like that. Which oh, I didn't know crazy. that was a common thing. It's totally insane. And it's like, well, at that point, why don't you just change all the words you think people might not know? <laughs> yeah. like, what? It's it's words. That's the point. <laughs> but they, they don't say where any of the factories are. No, I've looked into it. They never say, but they started off just in Canada, then they started going to America, and then they, they have been to Mexico as well, which is some of the artisanal stuff is definitely Mexico. The other thing of it, which I can't quite work out how to write it, is like their their model is like an old form. The model of the way they make how it's made is like an out-of-date procedure under contemporary capitalism. Like capitalism these days has no need to locate itself geographically. It can just, you know, you could have your factory over here and shipping makes it basically free to produce over there and bring over here whereas how it's made the way they will shoot the episodes is they would locate a place that has a lot of factories in one place and they will like go around all the different factories like shooting lots of sequences so they have this kind of old artisanal style of filming where it's still very like they don't have like multiple teams like going out across the world or something it's like still yeah. you know a load of people in a minivan driving down to wherever yeah wait have you talked to any of the people that work on the show no, there's a number of um, interviews online that I just found. Uh, someone's already stolen the best title for an essay about how it's made, which is how how it's made is made. <laughs> I think it's jumped good. on that. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I'm sure I'm sure we could talk about how it's made for a long time, but I won't keep you anymore because yeah, I feel like I'm sure you have better things to do with your day. But uh, thanks so much. Yeah. I, I can't think if <laughs> yeah. there's any any other things I wanted to ask you. I think that's everything. Oh, like, did you end up? discovering anything or like learning anything about the show from making the film i'm sure at the time i would have had an answer for that because whenever i'm doing a project like this i get really frustrated with some like really tiny oh i think one thing it's i'm not learning anything but i'll learn like little tendencies or just things like oh they always put this really good footage under the credits or something like that just anything that gets in my way a little bit repeatedly mm. or you know in other projects it's like oh, people are always filming their hands from too far away or something so i'm sure i had some <laughs> like really insane complaint at the time but <laughs> yeah. now i can't think of it yeah other than, the, other than the thing in, uh, where all the good footage is surely in SD. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, that makes me feel really sad for the film that could have been. But <laughs> I'll make an SD version just to <laughs> satisfy. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. Thanks to Dina for speaking to me. It was really fun. She's a great interviewee and a great artist. So yeah, check her stuff out. I'll be back at some point soon with another interview. Till then, goodbye. 